in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 92 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I am here with Andy Baggerly, and we are going to talk about pitching decisions and relievers and all the fun stuff that happened over the weekend between the Giants and Dodgers. How are you doing, Andy? And what does anyone have to complain about? What what strident opinions could there possibly be out there about a weekend of Giants baseball at Dodger Stadium? Oh me, oh my. Yes, it was a uh, it was a rough Sunday and it could have been we've had really good luck where we come back on on a Monday and the Giants have just split the series against the Dodgers or we come in on a Tuesday and the Giants have just won the the game before or previous and it, it makes it easier to talk uh, for half an hour about Giants baseball. This also makes it easy to talk about Giants baseball, but it's really on the other end of the spectrum. And we let's just get into it because you wrote extensively about it, and I was nodding my head at a lot of it. Kevin Gossman, 80 pitches. His last pitch was a 99.3 mile per hour fastball. He looked like vintage Cy Young runner-up Jason Schmidt, he looked in control, and he was pulled for Tyler Rogers, who throws, you know, 82 miles an hour, pitched two innings the day before. That seems like a whoopsie, right? You're always going to have managers who take a starting pitcher out or leave a starting pitcher in, and the pieces will not fall into place after that, and they're going to get blamed, and they're going to get yelled at, and people are going to call into KNBR and and breathe fire into their phones, and... Uh, and, and it, it happens all the time. It happened to Bruce Bochy all the time. But you look at all the circumstances involved in this, and it's pretty indefensible. And then you listen to Gabe Kapler's defense of it, and that made even less sense. So you can only really understand it one way, and that's if the Giants know that they've basically shown you the best of Kevin Gaussman right here. Uh, they, they just sort of decided that was enough. He's got another three starts until the trade deadline. Our number one goal is to trade him for as much as we possibly can, assuming that there is a playoffs and assuming that there is a trade market. Um, and and so that's that's the way they, they went about it. Because, you know, the whole thing about, oh, we need to make sure that we save him so he's good, you know, for the whole his whole rest of his time with us, not just this start. Well, he's got like eight starts left as a giant and then he's a free agent. This isn't Logan Webb. You know, this, this is not a guy who is going to be a, a pillar of your next... Um, uh, competitive uh, rotation uh, unless they re-sign him. Um, so, yeah, it just it just made no sense. And 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 the even the Tyler Rogers movie threw two innings the day before, but this was the fifth time in seven games that the that the Dodgers were looking at him. And that's not what you do with a guy who's a deception-oriented reliever. I mean, it was just so predictable. And and uh, and then obviously it worked out the way that. It did. I was busy yesterday doing uh, house stuff, but I was watching the game pretty closely, and I wanted to stop and just take a real brief time to to tweet out, this seems like a bad idea when they pulled Gaussman for for Rodgers. I I just had that feeling like, 
yeah, I don't, I don't see this happening. I, that's not the move I would make. And I, I'm generally pretty forgiving when it comes to, oh, you should have used this reliever and not that reliever because the manager is the one who is talking to his pitchers and he's the one who's talking to, to Dick Gaussman and, and saying how much do you have in the tank. He's the one who who talks to Rogers and says you pitch two innings. What do you, how do you feel? Feel great, Skip. You know, it, it, they they have a lot more information than I have, and I, I figured that out probably I don't know halfway through my my blogging run. I I, I was sort of like oh oh, maybe Bruce Bochy knows what he's doing. Uh, This just didn't track. This just did not track at all. And it really felt like, and I'm I'm writing about this in a circuitous way, but the analogy that I have is in The Simpsons when Daryl Strawberry's hit five home runs and Mr. Burns says, nope, I'm going to pinch hit Homer Simpson for you because, look, I don't want the the lefty-lefty matchup. And it's Daryl Starbucks like, but I've hit five home runs today, Skip. And it seems like you can be a little clever with that third time through the order orthodoxy. But it, when you're talking the difference between Homer Simpson and Daryl Strawberry, it's not a good play. And while the gulf might be a little closer when it's Kevin Gaussman at his best and Tyler Rogers after two innings the night before, I don't know. That's a pretty big gulf. So if you're asking Daryl Strawberry if he's better than Homer Simpson... He would probably say, well, I don't know you, but yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> One of my favorite line readings from any cameo. Yep. I don't know you, but yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yep. That's that's my favorite one word of that episode. That and Ozzy Smith going cool and taking a picture as he's following falling in the vortex. I'm assuming that that's the Santa Cruz mystery spot, by the way. Uh, that probably would be. That would probably be, yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's. Uh, it. You're right. It doesn't track. And and I asked the question after Gabe Kapler gave his explanation, which was, you know, he. It was great that he maintained his stuff into the seventh inning. It was great that he maintained his command in the seventh inning. He looks strong. We want to make sure that he can do that the next time. I. I. The whole time I'm thinking, yeah, you're you're just laying it out. He still looked strong. He still looked healthy. He was throwing harder it was like watching homer bailey when he threw his no hitter against the giants where it's like he's Mm. he's he's lighting up the gun you know more and more every inning jason schmidt would do that and gaussman said that that when he's going good he'll throw harder uh, within a start when he gets to 80 90 pitches too so you know was he going to finish that game off well maybe not but you know you get another inning out of him and then you get trevor Gott at what would be the, the bottom of the lineup not only are are the giants winning that series if they win that game and winning it on, you know, basically one or two hits. Uh, but they finished four and three at Dodger Stadium instead of three and four. And and maybe you'd take three and four when the season started. But I, I just think that Bruce Bochy understood, and a lot of managers who've been around understand what it does for people, what it does uh, mentally, not just for a, a pitcher to finish off a shutout or for Tim Linscom to finish off a no-hitter, uh, but for the whole team, you know, uh, the, the the mental sort of boost that you get from winning a series at Dodger Stadium. You know, there are moments when you just, you have to put aside your, your pre-planned, uh, you know, uh, pitching plan or whatever you had going into the game, and you're observing the game and you're watching the game and you're reacting to what you're seeing in that moment. And until we see more of Gabe Kapler actually doing that and doing a good job of that, I don't think you can trust his ability to do that very well. Uh, and, and I don't think his players can either at this point. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, we all kind of knew that that was, that was going to be a, a question mark going in, and he hasn't done himself any favors thus far. And you brought it up just now, and you wrote about it in the article, but the only thing that makes sense to me is that this is an edict from the front office saying, 
we have to mollycoddle uh, Kevin Gaussman for the next three weeks because we are getting some chatter about him. We are getting some more better offers than we expected because, the, again, this is the the post-stats kind of analysis where teams can look at, at what Kevin Gaussman's doing and say, I believe in that. That looks like you know, mid to high 90s with uh, a wipeout changeup, and he looks like the best version of himself. We will give up uh, a prospect, maybe not a, a, the best prospect, in the world because we don't know if the season's actually going to end. But teams might be very, very, very interested in Gaussman. And okay, so that's what they're doing. They're going to they're gonna mollycoddle? That's the only explanation that I can get. It's the only thing that makes sense. And if that is the explanation, then I push back on that too. Because what's the whole point of them trying to play baseball this season? As, as stupid and goofy as it is, it's to entertain you. It's to give you a moment to watch a game on a Sunday. And there are Giants fans who watched that game and they were not entertained by the end. They were aggravated. And, you know, that was a chance to create a memory and and and, uh, and do something, you know, uh, that was uh, rewarding to everyone involved and everyone watching. And if that's not the point, I don't know what is. Yeah, and I really don't think, you know, that's just speculation. I, I would be surprised if that were coming from the front office, like a very hard and fast, look, don't let this guy go. We're going to take the decision out of your hands. Don't let him go past six innings or don't do the third time through an order. We got to boost his, his trade value. I wouldn't think they're micromanaging that much. I mean, I'm not that well-versed with this new front office, but that seems something that, that they wouldn't have, you know, they certainly would have done it to Bochy. They, they were extremely hands-off with Bochy to some extent. And it would surprise me if they took that out of Kapler's hands. They might have mentioned it and Kapler got it in his head and combined with the third time through the order orthodoxy. Okay, maybe he just, he didn't make the right decision, but I I find it hard to believe that would come down from the top. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it was a pretty newsy series when it came to pitching. You've got Jeff Samarja getting rocked and now he goes for an MRI and we don't know if Perhaps he's thrown his last pitch as a giant. Um, we've got, you know, Johnny Cueto throwing a no-hitter, uh, which granted wasn't exactly like the eighth inning or, or ninth inning. Um, but, you know, Hunter Pence felt awful. He, he lost the the ball in the lights. And, and I it's just that that was so, so evocative to watch the, the replay when it's just on Pence's face the whole time. He looks just he looks just heartbroken as he's looking for the ball. Just just a. Uh, yeah, it, it's hard to even express the look on his face. It was so pained. I felt so bad for him. Um, and then, you know, Johnny comes out and, and supports him, and, and, and Hunter has a, a sort of a tongue-in-cheek tweet, um, at the end of the day, we won, and teammates had my back. So, um, you know, that was nice to see. But, yeah, it was there was just a lot going on from a pitching standpoint in that series. Let's pause to tell you about Manscaped. Fellas, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. And the Shed Travel Bag, $39 value. And the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. 
20. Everything that we've seen with the Giants so far is that y- you have confidence in four out of the five starting pitchers, six if you include uh, Drew Smiley, uh, Jeff Samarja, perhaps the one that you do not have confidence in, and there might be a reason for that. He's he's hurt. He might be, you know, I, whenever they talk shoulders, the, the shoulders are the mystery spot of the, of the pitcher's body. Like, they just, you can figure out an elbow... What's going on on that shoulder? It seems like there's a lot of levers and pulleys in there that we haven't fully diagrammed out. And that's how the starting pitching's been. The guys at the top have generally given the Giants a chance. And it's been the bullpen that comes in afterward. And that's the point of what I'm writing today is, is that... It's great to have that third time through the order because it is proven, it is statistically, yes, you your pitchers get worse the third time they see a hitter, but you got to have talent to back that up. You can't just bring in Grant Brisby after Jeff Smart or you know after Kevin Gaussman and say, well, third time through the order because that's a Homer Simpson Daryl Strawberry moment. You got to have the talent. Yeah, that's a good point. Although, I mean, you know, I you have a pretty good um, EFIS, don't you? You have you been working on anything on the side? I let's see. I used to throw. Pre- Pretty hard for a tiny, tiny man, uh, but those days are gone, and I have the worst command of any coach in my daughter's softball league. Um, <laughs> underhanded, I'm useless. Uh, when it comes to overhand, when I'm just playing catch with with the kids, I would say I uncork a weird one about every 20 pitches, or every 20 throws, and it's it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. So don't send me out there. That's what I'm saying. Do not let Grant Brisby throw batting practice to nine-year-old girls. That's the lesson. If you learn anything from this podcast, learn that lesson today. I would hit the same girl over and over and over again <laughs> oh, when no. I was underhand pitching. And it would be like I would we would practice and I would do underhand pitching to all of them and it would go without incident. And then poor sweet Braylon would come up and I'd hit her like, you know, I'm not chucking it hard, but I did her like three times. Every time she went up there, it was like a weird Steve Sachs thing. Like I just Steve Blast disease for that particular girl. And of course, her dad was there. And that's probably why I did it, you know, because he's sitting there glowering at me like, why you keep hitting my daughter? Anyway, this is weird. Don't bring me in for relief. That's what I'm saying. Stick with the guy who looks good. Her father's not Ramon Liriano, I hope. <laughs> Her dad was kind of intimidating, you know what I mean? Like her dad was a big dude, and I kept hitting his daughter, and uh, <laughs> you know, I joke about it, anyways. So you're not going to be pitching relief really for the Giants. Um, they do have a new pitcher though uh, on the roster, Trevor Cahill. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him, where he gets used, where they slot him in. I think we all thought he was going to be a bulk innings bucket guy, uh, but maybe he'll be a starting pitcher. Um, won't be stretched out uh, super, super far. I think he threw three simulated innings in his last. Uh, Last tune-up at the alternate site. But yeah, it's it'll be Logan Webb to start this series against the Astros. And then it's it's kind of a question mark where, where they decide to go pitching-wise. Yeah, and Cahill's always been interesting to me because he he's, he's sort of one of those pitchers who doesn't fall into a neat category. He's got something funky, something unique about him where he's he's got a sinker, a hard sinker. That just looks different. It looks, you, you can pick him out of a lineup, so to speak. It, it's, yes, that is a different sinker. And when he pitched in short relief for the Cubs. I want to say 2016, 15. He looked like that was his future. Like that was, you know, I'm going to just put Trevor Cahill in, in short inning bursts and let that sinker fly. 
and it's going to work. 2016. And since then, no one ever really tried it. It's been more starting and, and swingman stuff. And I, I'm curious to see if the Giants have any inclination to just let that sinker fly. Yeah, I think so. That's sort of been the way that they've thought about acquiring pitchers is let's, uh, you know, get under the hood and figure out what you throw uh, that sort of has an elite spin rate um, with Gaussman. It was his splitter. And you could totally see why when he was throwing it against the Dodgers. It's kind of funny. Mike Kruko kept calling it a changeup on the broadcast. So maybe it's sort of like the split change. We, we've seen some guys be pretty good throwing that pitch. Lincecum, Eric oh, Gagne. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. And and and, and so you, you can see why they, they thought that that would be a great pitch and, and why they thought they could sort of leverage that. And I think that Cahill sinker is, is another one of those pitches. Um, there were, uh, you know, other guys that they had in, in camp that, that you could totally understand why um, they were there. Matt Karasidi is a guy who comes to mind. He had a really good splitter and, uh, and unfortunately he got hurt in spring training and underwent Tommy John surgery. So he never became sort of part of the program, but um, I, I really sort of feel like they were, they were all in on the splitter and they were going after guys who threw it because, uh, the batting average against is really low, and there aren't a whole lot of guys who feature it, so it's different. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely could see that Cahill's uh, um, the the characteristics of his two seamer would be a reason to target him and, and maybe target him for whatever role that he shows that he's best equipped for. I went back to Cahill's rookie season because somehow he's he's only uh, thirty one. Let's see, thirty one. No, he's 32, which seems, I don't he seems to me like he's 38, like he's just been around for a while. So I went back and looked at his rookie season, and I'm going gonna, gonna to remember some guys. I'm going to go and, and tell you some of his teammates, okay? We okay. have uh, Santiago Casilla. Oh. Uh, who who uh, pitched so poorly with a 5.96 ERA and a strikeout rate in the toilet and a walk rate through the ceiling. He pitched so poorly that the Giants were able to get him on a minor league contract in the 2009-2010 offseason. That worked out okay. Was this during the Hiro era? Uh, I don't know. I don't know when that, when that became clear. I think it was after. I think it, I think he's Santiago Casilla at this point. Okay. So Cahill's also teammates with Brett Tomko. He is teammates with Andrew Bailey, the His Giants pitching, pitching coach, coach. Right, which is funny. That's just funny. And then the hitting side's also funny. We've got Rajay Davis, Orlando Cabrera, lots of Giants guys. But I just like the fact that he was teammates with Andrew Bailey. And it's not like Bailey's a lot older than him. Bailey's a fairly young guy too. Uh, so that's got to be a little weird to have your your former teammate be your coach. So you know, back when there was no sports. And we were trying to figure out what the heck to write a few times a week to put on our lovely site that you should subscribe to absolutely and visit as often as you can. (laughs) I wrote something about, and this was something that I had started uh, doing some of the work on uh, in spring training before uh, the pandemic forced us all to go home. Giants in really bad local commercials. There is a wealth of them. And uh, I did a whole story uh, going through them. And uh, if, if you uh, like your gas station fried chicken, boy, do I have some stuff for you. Um, and I do. I really do. That sounds delicious. Hunter Pence deciding to pretend he's rowing with giant loaves of Italian bread against a green screen in a Phillies uniform. <laughs> yes. If that's the content you crave, you will want to find this story. And uh, I tried to steer away from using team commercials which are the most obvious and, and plentiful ones, just because, you know, it was more funny to have people, you know, peddling products that they obviously don't use. But um, I did 
uh, I did use one, and it was a commercial that featured Andrew Bailey and Trevor Cahill uh, throwing darts in the clubhouse. And I just thought that was so funny that uh, that they are now, you know, pitching coach and uh, pupil, so to speak, uh, when they were teammates back then. So I, I'm sure it's 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 happened a lot in baseball history, probably more than we think. But it is kind of funny to think about it. Let's pause for a quick word from Indochino. It seems like pitching coach under 40 is fairly rare. That that seem, it seems back in the day you wanted someone wizened and grizzled and, and something like that. But I don't know. Am, am I wrong? I don't know. It does seem like pitching coaches were older and crustier. But Dave Rigetti was a pretty young guy when he first became a pitching coach, wasn't he? Ah, uh, that's true. That's true. They're all young to me now, Andy. They're all young to me, <laughs> as, I, as I get old. No, but it, uh, just the idea of someone being your teammate when you're in your 20s. Because I don't know Trevor Cahill. I don't know Andrew Bailey. Uh the 20s are when you get into some dumb stuff on the road when you are a, a rookie or a you know a major league baseball player and you're 21 to 25 years old I, I i picture hijinks shenanigans possibly some tomfoolery you know what i mean like i think that's the the age for it and so to have that and then go to this other reality where now this guy's in a position of authority and you really need to take him seriously that seems like it's a tough ask yeah we've seen some major league coaches doing some things that aren't very coacherly lately alex Sintra comes to mind. Is that who that was in the Astros? I believe it was. Yeah, that Loriano went after. Can you imagine like what is Rob Manfred's reaction to that when he sees when he sees that happen? It's got to be is it is it anger? Is it resignation? Is it just like does he just palm his face? How does he react to that? I mean, how could how could that possibly be a good idea for anyone to do that right now? I'm picturing him just sort of staring off into the distance, like, and not having an opinion at all, just sort of like, I have comparisons in my head, but they're all political and I won't get into them, but just a vacant stare is how I picture him reacting reacting to that. And I know he's a smart dude and that he was Major League Baseball's chief negotiator, but right now when it comes to, to all this stuff, vacant stare is the only kind of <laughs> opinion I, I see him having. The middle distance. He's, I, I love that phrase, looking off into the middle <laughs> distance. How do you know they're not looking? It's not the 10,000 f- yard stare. Uh, and, and what if that's the middle distance to you? What if you're what if you're a distance runner? How do we determine if someone's looking off into the distance or the middle distance? Yeah, I need to use that more. The middle, staring off into the middle distance. It's just, it, I don't know. That is pretty good. That's pretty good. No, that's a mess. That's a mess. But alright, so we have the, a Giants road trip that, that to this point, and we knew this was going to be as brutal... I don't know if you can make a 10-game road trip that's tougher. I really don't. Like You're talking not three games in Coors Field, four games in Coors Field. Uh, the Dodgers, maybe the best team I've ever seen. Uh, the Astros, even when they don't know what's coming, they're still a pretty tough team. That's about as tough as it can get. And the Giants are in this weird spot where they've played sort of, kind of well. They've been competitive. The games have been relatively engaging for, for the most part. And yet they are uh, two and, boy, making me do bath, two and five. And that's not, that's terrible. You know, that would be a uh, just a lousy winning percentage over a full season. And yet it seems like they've they played a little bit better. I, I don't know. It's a, it, This is a weird road trip. It is. And you know what? I, I was thinking about how you could make this trip tougher. And within the confines of the West playing the West, you really couldn't because you start at Coors where you're threatened to extinguish your bullpen before you even, you know, get to Dodger Stadium. And the Giants did a pretty good job of, of you know, it, they didn't, the bullpen didn't perform super well, but 
uh, the starters got deep enough into games to for them to not be totally exhausted getting into Dodger Stadium. But then you play the Dodgers, as you mentioned, the best team in uh, in baseball probably. And then you have to fly as far as you can possibly fly within the West four hours to Houston um, to play a really good team. Uh, and, and then you're going to have to fly back. Uh, so yeah, it's probably about as wickedly designed as a three city road trip could be under, under this schedule and under, you know, the slate of opponents that you have to face. There's no tuck in the Mariners in there. There's no, you know, uh, um, boy, if they play the Diamondbacks right now, they, they'd obviously be in a, a good spot. The Diamondbacks are just really struggling. Oof. Um, yeah, but, uh, and, and then when they get home, they've got the A's. <laughs> so the A's are pretty good. Um, so yeah, it's uh, we all knew it was going to be a challenge, but I think that that that's where the disappointment comes in is they have played well enough to you know be five hundred or better on this trip, and it, it hasn't worked out. And and you know you look at uh, they had the opportunity to beat Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller on back to back days. Um, you know they 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 really should have won the first game at Coors Field against uh, Chichi Gonzalez, uh, and mm-hmm. you know they didn't. They, they gave that one away, and so, you know, boom. Now now you've got to try to rally and, and square up against uh, Herman Marquez, which is, you know, not very easy to do. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. So, um, yeah, there's there's just a lot of opportunities that they've let get away. Um, and the, the whole time, they've, they've got Ty Cobb playing for them <laughs> and, and hitting second <laughs> or third. Donovan Solano is just amazing. And uh, if the, the offensive, um, what's the stat we looked up? the offensive uh, uh, expected win uh, offensive yeah. rate. So, yeah, it's it's currently up to 899 winning percentage, which means if, if you had a team of average defense, of average pitching, and you had nine Donovan Solanos in a 162-game season, you'd win 144 games. <laughs> so I wouldn't even think those games would be fun. It'd just be like, all right, we get it. We get it. You're just singling it. Doubly, <laughs> we get it. Stop. Stop, stop. He's already dead. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, just, right. I, the offense hasn't been the problem. It's it's just been this bullpen. The bullpen is, you know, for all the warts in the starting rotation, for all the warts in the lineup, and you've got guys who aren't hitting, there's a lot of the veterans just aren't hitting, they're able to, to score runs against Kershaw and Walker Bueller, at least enough to, to make you think they have a chance. It's the bullpen, and I, I don't know how many thousands of words I spilled in 2016 explaining the pain of... Because baseball is long. Baseball is just... its The games are long, and that's part of its beauty, and that, that's part of uh, just how ugly the games can be, because after three hours, you crack your knuckles, and you think you know how the game's going to go, and then the bulk pen comes in and it's one guy or two guys and then it burp and it, it's all gone and it's just a rough rough way to spend a weekend day it's a rough way to spend a week night losing by virtue of the bullpen is just really really tough to watch always has been it's a baseball truism and the Giants are really good at being really bad out of the bullpen yeah and you know there are some positives I think that okay Donovan Solano may be unsustainable to continue performing at this level where that level being he's hitting 450. But uh, Austin Slater, to my mind, looks like he is coming into his own as someone who could be an impact everyday player, an all-star type player. And I don't think I would have seen that coming a year ago. He is he is a plus base runner now. He has become uh, someone who can steal a base at any time. He looks like a guy who could who could be like a, a, a 20, 20, 30, 30 kind of player over a full season. I mean, and that's I don't think that's hyperbole. Uh, and I think that we're getting to the point very rapidly where they're going to let him play against right-handers. Um, 
because he's 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 getting to to be too good to take out of the lineup. So that's definitely a positive story. You look at gosh, who else? Uh, Mike Yastrzemski. He he, he keeps uh, having impact at bats. He tailed off a little bit in in Colorado, which I think we expected him, you know, to go gangbusters there like he did last year. He didn't, but he had good at bats all through the Dodger series and and got the hit off Walker Bueller uh, that uh, put him in position to to win on Sunday. So and on a really good pitch, which it's kind of funny to think that Walker Bueller was walking onto uh, Vanderbilt's campus as a freshman when Yastrzemski was a senior. You forget that they have that connection. But yeah, I think that, you know, if this season is really all about, hey, let's just develop people. Let's just, you know, work through some of the contracts that are on our books. Let's see if we can trade a couple pieces and, and get a few pieces for the farm system, which they did this week as well. They were able to take a, an outfielder who's a former top prospect, uh, Luis Basabe from the White Sox. They had to, White Sox had to DFA him for 40-man purposes. He's had a lot of injuries. He's missed a lot of time, but he's a guy who not long ago was homering on 102 mile an hour fastballs in the futures game. So now they tuck him in the system. They're just looking for, you know, how can they advance themselves organizationally this year, given everything that's going on? And uh, in a few respects, I can you can point to some progress. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I wasn't listening to any of that because I was too busy running to my fantasy league and picking up Austin Slater because I didn't <laughs> even think about the stolen bases. Yeah. Like, you know, when you're talking a, a 60 game season with, I don't know what, 40 games left or 40 something games left, uh, I'm going to need those steals. So, oh boy. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, but yeah, there are positive. And, and, I will say this has been, uh, maybe it's because I'm baseball starved, but the, this has been a, a relatively fun team to watch. They, you know, that 17 games in and it feels like we've seen a lot of happy, fun baseball time moments, whether they're individual specific moments where it's Donovan Solano doing his thing or Kevin Gaussman, even before the bullpen blows it, it was fun to watch him mow down Dodgers. And I don't like the game ended on a poor note, but it sure was fun to watch him mow down Dodgers. And that sort of stuff has has not been in short supply over over the season. There's only been like those first two games against the Dodgers were pretty, pretty stinky. But other than that, I'd, I've been engaged with most of the, the games this year. Yeah. Kevin Gossman mowing down Dodgers. Just a hint out there for any of those other teams that are looking to potentially mow down some Dodgers in October. Uh, Visa, MasterCard accepted. We'll also take your prize prospects. <laughs> all right. Well, we've got the Giants heading to Houston. By the next time we talk to all of you, we will know how they have done. I will point out that they're going to face Zach Greinke. And he is a sneaky Kershaw to the Giants. He has uh, just dominated the Giants in ways that pitchers usually don't dominate the Giants. He has made 20 starts against them with a 2.22 ERA. Among pitchers who have made 20 starts in their career against a team, uh, that is one of the all-time best ERAs. It's number 39, and then you get above it, and it's like all these pitchers against the the poor Mets, the expansion-era Mets or the expansion-era Padres. Uh, But this is the kind of dominance. So uh, a 2.22 ERA in 20 starts. Tim Lincecum made 30 starts against the Padres with a 2.20 ERA. Tim Lincecum is just above Zach Greinke on the domination meter, and that is especially funny to me. But no, no hitters. Zach Greinke has never no hit the Giants. Not yet. Now you've done it. Now you've done it, you idiot. (laughs) I hope you have a a good no-hitter story in you because you're going to have to write one. All right. This has been episode 92 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We will be back on Thursday. Thanks to Tanika Smothers for producing us. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you then.